1: Today we'd like to send a special thank you to the following restaurants for supporting No Goat Left Behind. The Spotted Pig, Issa, and Breslin. Show your support at these restaurants by ordering one of the menu items featuring goat. Goat is the most eaten protein in the entire world, yet in the U.S. we import most of our goat. Our dairy farms are forced to kill some male goats at birth because there's no market for them. Help make a change. Support No Goat Left Behind.
2: it's Thursday and you are tuned in to the Heritage Radio Network. I'm Erin Fairbanks, host of The Farm Report, and we are coming to you from the back of Roberta's at 261 Moore Street in Bushwick, Brooklyn. We are excited to have on the line today Tatiana Stantons. Tatiana, thank you so much for joining us on the show.
3: Oh, you're welcome. I'm looking forward to it.
2: Great. So Tatiana is the goat extension specialist for the state of New York. She works through the Cornell University Animal Science Department. Uh, In addition, uh, she's also uh, owner of Hawk Hall Meat Goats. Uh, It's a meat goat farm in Trumanburg, New York. So Tatiana, it sounds like your world is filled with a lot of goaty goodness.
3: That's very true, <laughs>
2: um so I would love to start by hearing a little bit more what exactly it is that a goat extension specialist does.
3: Um, what I do is I work with uh, people who are raising goats, and in many cases, it's adults who might have a commercial dairy uh someone who has a commercial meat goat operation, or it could be a you know a hobbyist, a fiber hobbyist um. And also I work with a lot of youth, and I help them with um, problems they're having with their goats or barriers that they're seeing in goat production. And then I also help them network with each other, you know, so um, and, and, and get to find out, you know, find other people who are doing similar, similar goat, goat things that, uh, that they, to, the, to what they're doing. Awesome. So you have been a great
2: resource for uh, Heritage Foods USA as they've embarked on their No Goat Left Behind project, both introducing us to the terminology of goats but also to a network of farmers here in the Northeast. And I thought it would be good, you know, as we hope to be speaking with different farmers throughout the month of October, or as we like to say, goat to get some of the terminology cleared up. So I would love if you could maybe take us through Uh, A couple of things. One, starting with, you know, meat goats versus dairy goats, kind of what the difference there is, and then what are kind of some of the common terms that you hear um, when referring to goats, and and how do we really talk about them? What's the language?
3: Okay. I think up to about 1982, most of the meat goats in the States were um, goats that... um, were being raised fairly extensively. They weren't being uh, managed real tightly. We, they were often what we would refer to as Spanish goats, which were goats that came in with the colonists, um, you know, with the Mayflower and all that, or after the Mayflower, you know, people brought goats in. They, got, you know, gradually got enough money to get a cow, and they'd let the goats loose, and the goats would say, boy, I don't want to live in the northeast U.S., I'm heading south. And sort of the same thing happened with the Spaniards as they brought in goats into Mexico and stuff. um, People would, you know, a lot of those goats would turn feral and then say, boy, I'm going where it's greener. And so a lot of those goats ended up in the southeast U.S. and became what's known as the Spanish goat. Um, And so a lot of our meat goats were Spanish goats, or they were often um, some sort of a cross of a dairy goat, like an Alpine Nubian cross or something like that, that would be used for meat. And then in 1982, things really changed around. We imported in the South African boar goat, and other breeds of meat goats have come into the state since then, with the sort of the difference that they're heavy, they're, they're often good milkers, but they're not persistent milkers, the way a dairy goat has to be. They... They'll only milk about three or four months of the year, and then their production will really drop, because what they're mostly, you know, producing milk for is to feed their kids, Uh, whereas a dairy goat will, you know, can milk very easily up to eight months, and her standard lactation that we're usually pushing her, you know, wanting her to do is more like 10 months. Um, So that's probably the main difference between the breeds. There's, you know, size differences, and we usually have a slightly meatier carcass on on a meat goat breed, because... They're more selected that way. Okay, so
2: basically the difference between a meat goat and a dairy goat is, is kind of what you would assume. The meat goats are a little bit meatier, and the kind of genetics and the selection and the focus on that end has been towards animals that put on a lot of weight so that when the carcass stresses out, you, you have a higher percentage of, of meat or meat to bone versus a dairy animal where, you know, if you're a dairy farmer, you're really interested in milk and milk production and milk quality, so you'd be looking for and selecting those types of traits. So does that mean on a dairy animal you're not going to have as much meat or, like, how different, you know, are they from a carcass standpoint?
3: You'll often have a slightly, you know, a, you know, compared to a live animal, there'll be a little less meat to that carcass. Often there's more room and development to them. Um, so, so that will be a little bit of the difference, but really a lot of that has to do with more how they're managed. Um, and, and the main difference we see is that dairy goats have a lactation that lasts for a long time, you know, versus a meat goat, their milk production is for a shorter time. But, yes, you know, normally you'd see a little bit better what we call a dressing percentage on a um, meat goat so that when you slaughter the animal, And, you know, what's left as far as carcass will be a little heavier than what, you know, will be a little larger percent of what the live animal was. And then I think with both animals, we, you know, we have a a lot of their offspring go for meat, and there we're usually selling two kind of offspring, either the suckling kid, which goes often for the Easter market, um, and and sometimes it's called the hothouse kid or cabrito, and that's a kid that's, you know, more like 25 to 40 pounds live weight. And, um, and, and is, and the carcass, will, you know, it's, it's going to provide a meal for a lot of people at one time. It's usually not going to be, um, divvied out over a long season. And, um, and we see both dairy goats and meat goats going for that. And then we have what's, what are called our market kids. Um, and a lot of our meat goats go as market kids, and those are weaned animals, you know, that are more like six months of age to 10 months, even 12 months of age. They're often raised out on our northeast pastures. You know, they're the ones who utilize more of our green space, and since we have a lot of underutilized um, forage lands in the northeast U.S., they're one way to keep those green, to keep keep them in uh, forages and so we have dairies that have expanded into raising uh, market what we call market kids rather than suckling kids they've expanded into doing that and then we have a lot of meat goat farms that also raise market kids so those are sort of the two different kind of animal we see going and the market kid of course it's larger a larger carcass a restaurant might you know may use that carcass all for you know meals on a certain day but a family who bought one of those carcasses would usually more be, you know, eating some chops from the animal or a cur- some curry from the animal one day and then, you know, another week they might be eating a leg of goat. Okay, so they
2: would kind of parse
3: it out. So, mm-hmm.
2: so generally the animals are sold, you know, on the younger end, or they're, they're kept and raced out a little bit longer. And so it's it's suckling or hothouse kids versus market kids. And kid just refers to, a, like, a, I mean, how young do you have to be to be considered a kid in the goat world?
3: Usually we say that once they get their adult, uh, a set of adult teeth, which is what happens when they're about a year of age, they're no longer a kid. Um and so that's why we have suckling kids, which just like the name means they're still nursing from their mothers. You know, most of their diet is still coming from their mother, and that goes on until they're about 10 weeks of age. Um, and then after that, even if they're not weaned, uh, most of their diet starts being the pasture they're grazing, the, you know, the concentrates or the grains they're grazing, eating. And less of it becomes their mother's milk, and then in some cases we're separating them from their mothers at that time, and you know they're that we're separating the boys from the girls, and and they're they're running out in herds with their own age group and sex.
2: Okay, so what about that separation of the boys and girls? I mean, are there different names for for male and females?
3: Yes, we often. If it's a castrated male goat, and and often we'll castrate our boys if they're going to stay as market kids, if they're going to stay around the farm for a long time, because they become fertile starting at sometimes as early as three months, normally at about four months, and they're pretty active breeders by the time they're six months of age, so because we don't want them to accidentally breed their sisters who are really too young for breeding at that age, usually at about Three months of age, we'll separate them. So the castrated males who stay with their sisters, we call weathers, and then the ones that we leave as 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 entire males, we call bucks or buck kids. And then the females are usually known as does or doe kids, or and sometimes we'll call them dolings.
2: <laughs> awesome, and you know. What is it as far as, far as um, diet-wise? I mean, goats kind of have this reputation of eating everything. I mean, is that true?
3: No. Well, they're, very, they're actually what's called selective eaters, but they're also what's called versatile eaters. So they change what they eat from season to season, And so certain seasons of the year, their favorite food is going to be the growing points of trees and shrubs, which may be, you know, your valuable fruit trees if they get loose or your rose bushes. (laughs) Um, but there's there's a lot of the brush here in the northeast U.S. that they do very good on. You know, our multiflora rose, our honeysuckle, all that. And then other seasons of the year, they really go for our native grasses and are also our winter, our our, our cold season grasses, our timothy and orchard grass, which are so common here. here. And one of their favorite foods are just forbs, which is just a name for broadleaf uh, plants that have succulent stems. So these would be your dandelions, your curly dock, your plantains, you know, what are often commonly referred to as weeds and your goldenrod. And those, you know, goats can convert, um, you know, are fe- feeds that they really like and they can convert them into meat and milk.
2: So, I mean, are would you call
3: goats grass-fed then? Um, not normally um, because, Goats normally go to eat the growing point of a plant, and the growing point of a plant is actually where your fruiting bodies are, where you're going to find your fruits and your seeds. So traditionally, goats have usually had a diet that included seeds and fruit, so included concentrated uh, sources of carbohydrates. And we do find that goats, because of this, and because they were browsers, they're not used to eating in a low canopy where we're going to have more worm problems. Unlike our sheep and our cattle, so our sheep and our cattle have learned to be um, resistant to the parasites that you're going to find uh, in low canopies like that. Um, because of course, you know, as animals poop, their 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 poop is in those low canopies, is, is in the grass, and so sheep and and cattle get exposure to you know grazing fairly close to their poop and fairly close to the worms that can be in that poop. Versus goats, traditionally because they were versatile eaters and ate a lot of browse, um, aren't don't have that you know haven't had that evolution to really fight. Um, Internal parasites. So we, they do great nutritionally on our grass, legume pastures that we see all over uh, New York and the rest of the Northeast, and our hay fields and all that. But they do the, um, health-wise, they have trouble with parasites. So because of that, we often find that if we can keep them in a fairly good nutritional, um, you know, you have them getting a little extra nutrition, and often that extra nutrition comes from concentrates. That it often helps to give them a little bit of concentrate food, and that's actually not uh, that far from what the the diet they would have had in nature.
2: Okay, so so if I'm imagining, like I'm out standing in in pasture with the goats, they're 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 kind of milling around and taking a nibble here and a nibble there. Um, it, it, it sounds very like dainty, you know. They're not kind of going at it, munching right down into the ground, what you mean is is they they kind of, like, move around and take the, like, nice bits that, that they think, you know, look most tasty.
3: Right. They're selective eaters. They have a uh, – their upper lip is similar to the upper lip of a giraffe or a horse, and that means that they're able to actually wrap it around the part of a plant they like the most. Like, if you see them eating multiflora rose or eating brambles, they can really avoid the thorns. Um and so they they're and if you watch them in a pasture, they'll often be running from part you know one part of the pasture to the other part of the pasture. They're very mobile animals, and that's one reason why they don't get gain weight as fast as a as a lamb or a calf would is because they're constantly on the move um so and as I said, they're versatile eaters, so they're going through that pasture finding part of this and part of that. At the same time, our pastures are very nutritious for them. So as they're in there, you know, if they're in a section of pasture for two days, it will look, you know, very nicely mowed when they're done with it. But but not nearly as short. You know, they usually don't graze nearly as short as a, as a sheep would graze. Okay. And when you
2: say concentrates, I mean, is that like, the, like a protein powder of the, the human
3: world? Or what, what do you mean by that? A concentrate essentially means a concentrated form of carbohydrate. So that would be like something like corn or oats, something that's high in carbohydrates. Um, a lot of the carbohydrates, a lot of the concentrates that we feed to our goats and to the rest of our livestock are actually grain byproducts. So when your grain goes, when your wheat goes into a mill to be made into flour, uh, the byproducts from that, the wheat bran or the wheat, wheat middlings, Um, those are made into uh, livestock feeds. And uh, the nice thing about those is compared to the wheat alone is they're a little higher in very complex carbohydrates or what we call fermentable fiber. So the wheat bran might be a little harder for us to digest, but for a goat, they're excellent feeds because goats, of course, have four compartments to their stomach. They're what we call ruminants. They chew their cud. And that uh, fermentable fiber that's in those grain byproducts uh, is very good for them. Um, you know, just like our pastures are very good for them. All of that provides the fermentable fiber that's needed by their rumens. Okay. And we really are a perfect growing area for many of our goats.
2: Yeah, that's what, yeah, so it's curious. So, you know, one of the things that we've been talking a lot throughout the No Goat Left Behind project is that goat is, you know, the most widely consumed protein in the world. And geographically, it it spans a a really, you know, pretty broad uh, range of climates. And so how does, you know, how does the environment in the Northeast... You know, fair and and just. I mean, if you can comment, you know, how the Northeast compares not not just to uh, you know to other regions in the U.S., but also kind of globally. You know, what do we have here, and are there certain things that are advantages or disadvantages for farmers in the Northeast?
3: I think we have um, underutilized green space with with forages growing in them that are very nutritious for goats. Um, because a lot of our land is grasslands or grass lagoon pastures and um, hay fields, we do have problems with parasites but i'd say if anything less so than most of the rest of the world except for the more arid climates we're, uh, we're a we're fairly wet climate which means that you know our internal parasites you know our different kinds of worms that affect livestock do love this area. Yeah, do find it very good, except in the winter. They most of the, a lot of them do get killed off over the winter, which gives us advan- an advantage over the southern U.S. Um, and then the only real, it, when it comes to parasites, our biggest problem in the Northeast U.S. is we have white-tailed deer that do great here. You know, if you look at the size of them, they're really huge compared to in other parts of the U.S. You know, they. Our deer do great here. Unfortunately, they get a worm that we just call the deer worm that when it gets inside sheep and goats and llamas and alpacas, it gets confused and it has trouble getting uh, completing its life cycle in them and sort of wanders at, you know, all over the place, and it can cause some nerve damage. And usually that doesn't affect very many goats in the herd. They have to eat a slug or a snail in order to get that, this, mm-hmm. that worm. But that's probably one of our biggest disadvantages. It's that worm isn't as common yet in other parts of the U.S. Though, the gradually the white-tailed deer are spreading it to other parts. So that you know, um, that's probably our biggest problem. But we do what we do have a wealth of is lots of good nutrition for our animals. Our other problem is we only have about five percent of the goats in the U.S. in the Northeast U.S even though we slaughter about half the goats that are slaughtered in the U.S. are slaughtered in the Northeast U.S. because this is where one of the really big demands for goat meat are. But because of that, we're small, you know, we're very small in the whole big picture of of goats, which means that we are often price takers rather than being able to demand prices. And so it's a little hard for us to get into the market. And it's also hard for us, of course, to produce goats year-round because we do have our cold winters here, so it's more challenging than in some other parts of the U.S. And so marketing is another big issue for us. And then also I think throughout the U.S. we're seeing problems with um, a lot of our small mom-and-pop slaughterhouses are disappearing, um, and that's a real problem. We really need to find a way to keep those slaughterhouses um, active and going because that's so important for our local market of goat meat and the rest of the livestock we produce in the northeast.
2: Wow okay so you brought up a ton of stuff I want to tuck into but I want to give you a chance to catch your breath Um, you're really kind of putting you through the ringer here and I'm excited to um, come back after the break and tuck into some of those uh, topics you just addressed for us.
3: Leave these memory cards where the wind blows dry.
2: Okay, we are bringing it back. You're listening to The Farm Report, and we are on the line with Tatiana Stanton, who's taking us through the world of goats. Tatiana, before the break, you were kind of talking a little bit about how the the Northeast compares to the rest of the country and the world um, as far as goats and goat production and one of the things that you mentioned that is a little peculiar to me is that well the northeast is only producing somewhere around five percent of the animals of the the goats in the northeast or i'm sorry who five percent of the goats in the u.s um the majority of goats are slaughtered in the northeast so uh, how, how does that work
3: well, a lot of goats um, are brought in here from the primarily from the southeast, from southeast U.S. and from Texas. Uh, they're brought to, we have a very large regional auction uh, at New Holland, Pennsylvania. And so they're brought into there and then, and then slaughtered in, in, in the northeast. So often, um, a producer in Vermont or in New York is going to be competing with, um, a trucker who is able to bring in, you know, a semi-load of goats very reliable every month from Texas or from Georgia or from Tennessee. And so, um, you know, we're at a disadvantage that way when it comes to, um, to, you know, trying to get our goats into, say, for example, the New York City market.
2: And what what that is really are just kind of these economies of scale, essentially. Very much so. Okay. Very, yes. And so who, I mean, who are who are goat farmers? I mean, in the Northeast and how do they compare with goat farmers out? I mean, is there a long history of goat farming in this region or is this something that farmers are getting into? Is it is it what, like, the main thing people do or is it a component as part of, like, a, a more dynamic farm system?
3: In the case of our commercial goat dairies, it's often a full-time, very serious business. And the meat goat part of it, you know, is, is sort of, a way to get another stream of income, you know, um, out of it. And so it helps to keep that that commercial goat dairy going. You know, it helps keep it sustainable. In the case of our a lot of our other goats and, and our meat goats, it's a part-time, um, um, you know, um, enterprise, you know, where people often have a full-time job. And that's a nice thing about small ruminants like sheep and goats is you can maintain you know her, often our typical herd in this area is about 25 uh adult female uh animals for sheep and for goats and so you can maintain a herd like that and utilize um your your green space, you know, your pastures and stuff and your your abandoned hay fields and stuff for for sheep and goat raising, and yet hold down a full-time job or a part-time job. So they often help pay the property taxes so that people are able to stay on what, what were their farms. We see um, dairy farmers that are retiring out of dairying you know, as they get older, saying, gee, I don't really want to get into beef cattle. I, I like the idea of a smaller animal. And so they'll look more towards sheep and goats. Um, and then we have a lot of hobbyists, because goats are very personal animals. You know, they, they really bond to humans. Uh, we'll often see people going, mm, I don't really want to raise a couple of lambs as a pet, but gee, I'd love to have a dairy goat in the backyard and get some milk from her and maybe breed her to a South African boar buck and get some really meaty kids from her. And then those kids will, will go for the slaughter market. Or, or there'll be young people's 4-H projects That'll then eventually go into, you know, go to different meat markets, different local auctions, or be bought up by different uh, packers in the area uh, to go into New York City or go into Buffalo or, you know, bigger bigger towns. Uh, and then a lot of people, you know, raise goats more and eat, the, make their own cheese, make, you know, get their own meat from them and get, you know, and if we're doing angoras and stuff, get their own fiber from them.
2: Okay, so... I'm, I'm curious, you know, there, there, it seems like there, there's a lot of goat kind of happening in the US. And I know kind of according to US recent USDA figures, and I think so far this year, the, the states have imported around 17 million pounds of goat meat and And yet, when I go to a restaurant or when I go into a grocery store and, and i don 't know if that 's just a new york thing, but it 's rare that I see goat on a menu or rare that I see goat offered in a butcher case or in a in a deli case so who's who 's eating all this goat?
3: A lot of our goat
2: is considered
3: to be an ethnic market, so you know at um, at easter time it's you know our suckling goats are going to uh, Italian and Greek families that have kept up their eating habits from from when they immigrated into the United States. Uh, when we're doing our market, kids, they'll often be uh, Muslim families, Hindi families, uh, Christian African Christian families who have kept up their their goat eating habits as they came into the states, into the United States, and are looking for goat for you know for New Year's, for the different Muslim holidays, like Festival of Sacrifice, which will be coming up in November. Um, and so, so we do consider it an ethnic market or a niche market. Uh, in truth, many of us, if you look back, um, it, many of us whose families immigrated to the United States you know, generations ago, as we look back to what our families were eating before they came to the U.S., one of the meats they were eating and one of the milks they were, you know, cheeses they were eating and milk they were drinking were, were goat meat and goat milk. Um, but we had more of that melting pot uh, philosophy in those days where people were trying to be as American as possible, and part of that was to sort of get into what was becoming more and more, you know, American food. And instead we have, you know, in the last 20 years gone more to the salad bowl mentality where we've celebrated a lot of the food coming from all over the the world. You know, international food has become very important. You know, as you go around in New York City, you'll see restaurants for all sorts, you know, that are based on, you know, cuisines from all over the world. And that's where you really see goats. You know, um, is it more that ethnic or international cuisine market?
2: Uh-huh. Yeah, I think that's. I mean, that's one of the the things through the No Goat Left Behind project that we are. You know, we we have talked about and are kind of hoping to change as as kind of introducing goat to this more ma- mainstream American market through the work of you know the in- influential chefs that we're lucky enough to partner with. Um, really, kind of getting. The meat out there for people to try and people to think about and also reimagine. So, well, I think you know I'm a big fan of you know goat curries or goat tangines. I'm excited to see how um, different chefs uh, across the country are going to be preparing goat and kind of adapting that uh, that more of an American uh, approach to the animal. And I wondered if you could just talk a, a little bit about you know. The, the the taste of goat and and why is it you know that so much of the world loves it I mean is it a component of like the flavor or is it more dynamic with regards to the way the animal works um, for small scale farmers or I mean what is it that has kind of led it to be such a, a popular meat worldwide?
3: Well, well, one big part of it is the fact that it is a risk adverse animal, so. It's a very versatile animal. It multiplies um, you know, fairly quickly. It's a very small animal, so people often have two or three of them or four or five of them um, versus having one cow. So if you have a famine um, or you have a flood, hopefully – you you know if you have just one bit one cow you lose that cow and you have to start from scratch. Often with goats you'll lose some of them but not all of them and within a couple of years you can get back to the same number of animals you used to have, uh, which is one problem we see. Often we'll come to go to parts of the world where that have been overgrazed. Um, And, you know, areas that maybe are so steep they shouldn't have had goats on them or because of changes in um, the climate, you know, they've really become drought areas. And, unfortunately, the animal that's left standing there is a goat because the goat is such a survivor. So we'll often blame all the problems that are occurring on goats. And it is true that goats like to girdle trees, so they can be quite damaging if, if not, carefully handled uh, but traditionally the way people used to herd them and the way we keep them uh, controlled in the in the united states they're actually very positive for the environment um but that was one reason why we see, have seen goats used so much it was the poor the you know considered the poor man's or the poor family's uh cow you know and all that but the other thing like uh, for many people, once they've tasted goat, it becomes one of their favorite meats. You know, I know it's, it's my favorite meat, and it's a cross, I'd say, between uh, beef and venison. It's very beef-like in its taste. Um, it is a fairly low-fat meat because goats put on their fat um, um, externally, or else over their internal organs, which means that when you slaughter them, it's very easy to trim that fat. So you don't get marbling, but marbling is not particularly healthy. That, that you know, When you have that fat running through the, within the muscles of, of an animal, you're eating that fat along with the muscle, and that's not real good for you. Uh, so in a goat, we normally don't see that unless the goat is just amazingly fat. Uh, instead, the fat is easily trimmed off. And so you're getting a low-cholesterol meat that's similar to a chicken you know, chicken with the skin off as far as its cholesterol content. Uh, but it's very tasty meat. Um, it is, because it is lower in fat, it does need to be cooked usually fairly slow and usually with moisture, and that's why it's used so much. You know, it's such an excellent meat in curries and stuff. Uh, and in seco, That Mike family from Ecuador and what we ate, the seco de chivo, um, which was like goat stew that often has, you know, it has some wine in it if you're from a wealthier family, uh, but really excellent, you know, it's really excellent for things like that. I know my favorite dish is to do a jerked goat, jerked leg of goat. Uh, so more Jamaican style jerk that you'll then pat on goat, and traditionally in Nigeria and lots of Africa, you see more where you make paste out of different spices and onions and hot peppers, and plaster those on go- on you know pieces of goat, uh, you know, essentially on ro- on goat roast, and then cook that slowly, um, and you know, or barbecue that slowly, and those are often uh a, a main dish it, it's very well known as a festival meat um you know for families who very rarely eat meat when they do eat meat uh it'll be what they eat for their festivals you know say in jamaica your curried goat there that you're going to eat with your mannish water you know which is your soup made out of all the parts of the goat that aren't in the curry you know? <laughs> and um and it really lends itself uh well to spicing it's it's a very hearty meat um and so a lot of people really like the texture of it, and it's a very mild-tasting meat, which is surprising when you think of how smelly male goats are. It's a very non-muttony uh, sort of meat. It's, it really has a very nice taste to it that people love once they taste it.
2: Excellent. So how do you see the, uh, the No Goat Left Behind project kind of fitting into the broader landscape of opportunities for, for goat farmers in the Northeast?
3: I think it may help us get that niche into New York City that we're all just dying to have, you know, to see more New York uh, goat be, and more Northeast goat coming into the city. It, it would provide a second stream of income for a lot of our commercial goat dairies um, in the Northeast U.S. It would uh, stru- um, provide a more direct market. Uh, for for goat meat um rather than having to go through a lot of different middlemen you know we might only have to go you know through one middleman to get into the city which would be just great you know so i i you know as you get more direct in your marketing um it, it really has a lot of opportunity for more pooled marketing i know you know just last week i had two farmers um you know who were able to get together and transport their animals together and that was the first time they had ever worked together to to get their goats somewhere. And so, you know, they were able to utilize that program to get a little more of that um, economy of scale, to, to combine, you know, to do a little market pooling uh, to, get their, to get their goat meat for the first time into New York City.
2: That's awesome. Well, thank you so much. You've been such a wonderful resource and a great guest. And if people want to learn more uh, about the work uh, that cor- you're doing through Cornell, or more about goats, uh, do you have a website or anywhere that they can kind of follow up and find more
3: information? Uh, there's a website called Sheep Goat Marketing, all one word. Dot info. So Sheep dot um, Info. That gives the names of some of the places where you can locate goat meat. Uh, we also have, I manage a, a website or a listserv that's called SR Marketing, um, where uh, goat producers and lamb producers throughout the U.S. Um, are members of that. And if people are looking for goat meat or lamb, you know, they can send me an email. And my email is T like Thomas, L like Louise, S like Samuel 7 at Cornell.edu. And I can put messages on there to get you people more connected up with farmers um and then i have my uh i have a website at cornell that's www.ansci.cornell.edu uh, slash uh, goats
2: awesome tatiana thank you so much for joining us and um we would encourage all of our guests to to check out some of those resources and to vid- visit us at the heritage foods website to find out where they can get goat um Throughout the month of October, I think 50 plus restaurants throughout New York City will be serving it. I know today, if after hearing the show, you can't wait to get some, head over to the Heritage Meat Shop at the Essex Market, ask Dan for a little bit of goat. And we look forward to uh, having you tune in next week. Thanks for listening to The Farm Report.
1: From Heritage Foods USA 14 family farms and over 50 restaurants have committed to participation in no goat left behind a new program developed by heritage foods USA a meat distribution company dedicated to preserving endangered breeds without an end market the majority of male dairy goats are sold into the commodity market or killed at birth dairy farmers are always struggling with feed prices milk prices and weather goats usually have twins or triplets and for every female who will become a milker there's a male buckling who will become a financial drain It makes no sense that these males are sold into the commodity market or put to death when the United States imports almost 50% of its annual goat supply. Home consumers interested in participating can order goats through heritagefoodsusa.com. They will receive goats via FedEx, and home delivery is available for New York City customers. In addition to the goat, these packages will also include recipes and a DVD featuring interviews with the farmers, processors, and chefs demonstrating how to break down and cook goat. Again, for more information on No Goat Left Behind, visit www.heritagefoodsusa.com or call Aaron Fairbanks at 718-389-0985.